Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of Neo Kobe Pizza, the only video game podcast that floats in soup. Uh, my name is Mark B, and joining me today is fellow diehard game fan staffer, Guy Desmarais. Hello, everyone. Hello, Guy. How are you doing on this wonderful evening? Pretty good. It's crazy hot in Montreal right now. Yeah, I can imagine it's crazy hot here, too. I would, I would think that it would be different being closer to... I guess the North Pole or what have you. <laughs> I couldn't think of a better way of expressing it. Like I know it just sounds like I'm saying that you're some kind of fucking Eskimo, but no, you you would think so. But uh, it's just humidity that makes you pay for it. Really, we we get like three good months of summer, and it really makes up for all of the snow and the cold and all the other crap we get the rest of the year. Wow, I had no idea. So it's it's basically either constantly icy, constantly snowing, or constantly humid. That's exactly what it is. We never get a dry day here. <laughs> oh my god, that's terrible. I get used to it, really. <clears throat> I mean, I guess that's fair. I, I live in New Jersey, which is the, the butt of all jokes for Americans, and you get used to that as well, too, I guess. I know, I heard a lot of bad things about New Jersey, but uh, I've only driven through it, and I guess I stopped at a gas station. And turns out you can't really pump your own gas in New Jersey. No, it's it's not legal to pump your own gas. Well, that kind of pissed me off because, I, I mean, I have nothing against tipping, but I have something against tipping for something I, I could have been doing myself. You aren't allowed to tip them, sir. Oh, well, I sure probably looked like an asshole. No, it's <laughs> fine. Like, I'm sure he would have taken it and been happy with it, but, like... That it's it's a state law. They specifically have it set up so that you don't pump your own gas, and it keeps people employed. Okay. Um, well, cool. I guess we just found something else for them to do around here. Yeah. So I mean, like, <laughs> so in in the future, if you pass through, don't you don't have to worry about tipping. Just wait for them to come through and then say, "Hey, do whatever," and just pay and go, and you're fine. Now, you know, ever since that happened, like the past two times, I've just tried to get a tank full of gas before entering New Jersey and then just powered through all the way to, like, whatever state comes after that, Maryland. We're not going to shoot you. Nah, I don't know. It's just being uncomfortable about other people. I, I feel like I'm, you know, like almost slave labor or something. It's like, no, you, you shouldn't be pumping my gas. I can do that. It's like See, it's, it's, if I had somebody shining my shoes or something. I can understand that, but by the alternative context, I've grown up with it my whole life, and it's I feel weird pumping my own gas. Like, <laughs> I'll go to Pennsylvania and I'll do it, and it just it feels like the weirdest experience. But that actually leads into the topic we were going to discuss today um, in the confines of gaming as a point of reference. When I had suggested to you the idea of joining the podcast, one of the things that you brought up as a potential point of conversation was that when you were growing up as a gamer, it was a lot different for you from how it might have been for myself or people in the U.S. as an example, or even in, you know, say Great Britain or Japan, who have their games catered directly to the language that they speak in france i mean i've read about video games in france and they do get everything translated but uh in quebec in particular because it's this very small 
what was it called, an enclave or something. This very small space of people that speak French in the middle of this ocean of Anglophones. We really do not get anything catered to us uh, unless we make it ourselves, really. And video games in, in Montreal, the, the industry itself wasn't really anything until the late 90s when Ubisoft opened up. I think it was the first studio that might have been another one before that. But honestly, before that, we never really got anything catered to us in terms of video games. So it was pretty much you have to learn to read English, not even speak it, really just read English or understand it somehow. And you would think we would be better at that because all of the Anglophones uh, that surround us, or even I think it's like 40% of Montreal does not speak French. So you would also think we're better at that. But Montreal is basically just a bunch of ghettos. Like, either you, you, you live in the French ghetto or the English ghetto, and then you never have to have any contact with anybody else. Uh, but but that's also changing. So now if you get in the central parts of the city, you get a whole lot of people that speak both French and English. I think the internet might have something to do with that. But uh, yeah, it's getting better. But yeah, we're talking about video games. So yeah, when it comes to that, we, uh, until until the late 90s, we didn't even have anything that had a remote chance of being in French. And it's only when they passed the law in 2007, which is not even a law. It's just some kind of suggestion from the office of uh, the French language, the OFLQ. In Quebec, it's just a suggestion that everything should be in French if it is available in French somewhere else in the world. But if the video game is just in English everywhere else in the world, then there's no problem with that. So even then, it's a it's a crapshoot, as they say, when you buy a game. Not that most gamers really mine in Montreal or in Quebec because we've been raised with gaming in English, even if we didn't understand shit. So let's let's start at the beginning. I don't know exactly when you were born, but I'm guessing you grew up pro, uh, a lot through the 80s. Yeah, I was born in 1983. Okay. From your time with Die Hard Game Fan, it's no secret that you're a big fan of Mario and Nintendo products in general. Yeah, because they were pretty much the only ones available in Montreal. I mean, we had the Atari and ColecoVision and all that, but uh, the Master System... I used to have a Master System, actually, but I was one of, like, probably... 10 kids in all of Montreal to have one. Mostly was Nintendo. Yeah, it's it was available for distribution in the US, but not a lot of people had it. I think only in Japan and the UK did the Master System do particularly well. I think it was also crazy popular in Brazil, I remember reading. So, now you said in 2007 was the point where they started suggesting more or less that if games had French dialogue or French subtitles or what have you in other countries, they should have them in Canada as well. Exactly. You're also saying that Ubisoft was the first real instance where that was something that you could reasonably expect to see. So through all of the 80s and the 90s, you basically just grew up with entirely English games? Entirely, for except for one. And even then, I had... the that game in English. It's a Legend of Zelda a Link to the Past. It came out originally just in English uh, in Quebec, and then I think it was in 95 or something like that. They re-released it as a player's choice uh, title, 
and by that point there was a France-French translation and they made it available in Quebec. I only know it exists because my cousins somehow still have it, but I grew up with A Link to the Past being in English also. And that was the only game that was in French that I can remember until well into GameCube era. Wow. So, all right, here's a separate question. Now, you had mentioned like it was it was a lot harder when you were growing up as opposed to now with communication, things of that nature, because it would be... I guess your people, or how, for a lack of a better way of explaining it, yeah, I don't, I don't really have a better way of saying it. Like, I don't we, want we it just to refer to uh, each other as, as francophones and anglophones around here. Okay, because I couldn't think of a better way of saying it. Like, I don't want it to sound like you you migrated from the deserts or whatever to take up refuge in Montreal. But yeah, so okay, the uh, the francophones in the area, it sounds kind of like I guess you're the minority there to a certain extent. Oh no no! In Montreal, we're still sixty percent of the population. We're the we're still the majority, but it's still about forty percent of the population on the island of Montreal that uh, was born with another language as than than French as their mother tongue. The thing is that it's not just English for the rest of them. For the other forty percent, we also have a lot of uh, Italians, um, Greek, uh, Vietnamese people. Yeah, but 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 Quebec itself, it's overwhelmingly francophone, like eighty percent or something like that. Okay, so Montreal, Montreal's the biggest city, but you're saying it's an like a, a segregated island of sorts. Is Quebec is. like surrounding it then? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, we we got at least a good two hundred kilometers of the province of Quebec to the south before we reach the American border, and north of it, it's like almost infinite land until you reach the North Pole. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, the province of Quebec's fairly big in terms of land mass, but a lot of it has no one living on it. It's nothing but lakes and rivers. It's very useful for hydroelectricity, though. Is that a prevalent thing out there? Uh, that's the only way we do our powers. We, we don't have oh, wow, any... Wow, really nice. Yeah, we don't have any nuclear uh, centrals. We don't have any coal-powered anything. It's all hydroelectricity, and lately there's some regions that have been going crazy on, uh, what do you call them, like windmills or, or whatever? Yeah, they kind of started with that, but it's still very much hydroelectricity. Just building up dams in the north, they did that in the 60s and 70s, I think. And uh, they had to sign a bunch of... Uh, treaties with the natives sometime probably forcing them to sign them or something but, <laughs> but but in the history books they they keep saying it was very much mutual they call it like uh like they say it was a great peace or something like that they keep patting themselves on the back about that but the reality is that we pretty much treat our natives just like the rest of canada which is to say not that well if it's any consolation, we were doing that for a very long time in the U.S. as well, but we eventually kind of said, yeah, that's bad. I mean, we still, you know, keep them in reservations and let them drink themselves to death, but we're nicer about it now publicly. Uh, yeah, the new uh, prime minister we have, Justin Trudeau, like the the guy they call everybody's boyfriend or whatever, because he's got nice hair and all that. Uh, he's trying to uh, build better relation with our natives, but uh, there's still a bunch of stuff that needs to be done because, uh, if I remember correctly, it was 2000, 
native women that disappeared over the over the last few decades and there was never any police inquiries i was reading about that when i was up there the last time uh they were talking about some of them were just like dropped off by the police in the middle of nowhere and froze to death basically or they were abused raped who knows maybe they were killed and like we we don't we i, I can't even hypothesize we don't really know what happened to them jesus yeah, that took a heavy turn, didn't it? A little bit. So you said you learned most of what you dealt with, how you dealt with games was mostly through learning how to read. Now, was there any kind of support scholastically for English reading? Uh, in Quebec, we learned English starting in the third grade uh, all the way to our final year of high school. Uh, so that's about... That's about eight or nine years of English right there. But the problem is that uh, the people who end up being English teacher in elementary school or high school are not necessarily native speakers themselves. And we mostly learn things about colors or very simple verbs or uh, like, oh, here's a vocabulary for a kitchen or if you go to a grocery store. Right. It's, it sounds it sounds like how it was for me when I took Spanish in high school where you would learn, you know, donde esta la biblioteca? Where is yeah. the library? And sure that's that's great if I ever want to go to the fucking library when I'm in Mexico, but it doesn't teach you anything practical. Exactly. I still have no idea how to construct a proper sentence from what I got in my head or I don't even know one thing that stuck with me, I was in an exam, written exam uh in an English class in high school. And uh, we had to write a letter to a friend about, like, vacations and crap like that, you know? And because uh, the classes are so strict in English class, we could actually ask the teacher during the exam if we didn't know how to say something. Because if it's not part of what we needed to learn, like part of the vocabulary or whatever, they could help us so that it would still sound proper without sounding stupid or anything so i just wanted to say uh, i can't wait to see you but in french to say that you say i have haste which is not a good way of saying it in english i was trying to find a way to say that like i have haste i have i have cannot wait i have you know something like that so i asked my teacher i'm like Hey, how can I say out in, in, in English? And my teacher looks at me and he's like, I don't know. Just say, like, have a good day or something. <laughs> I mean, if it's any consolation, you sound outside of the not very noticeable accent like a fairly fluent English speaker. I have not noticed anything where I felt like, uh, that didn't work or, uh, that wasn't great. Well, that's many years of training. <laughs> it started. Uh, I've been able to read English properly, I would say, since I was maybe. What year did Mick Foley's biography come out? That was like my I was, first. I want to say 90, 97, maybe? Oh, shit. That was, so maybe since I was 15 or 16. Yeah, so if I search for Have a Nice Day, Bon Jovi comes up, which fuck, <laughs> fuck Bon Jovi. But you're from New Jersey. That's fine. That doesn't mean I think that bad music is good. Yeah. Ask me about Celine Dion later. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, 
I've been I've been to Toronto. I love Toronto. I think it's a wonderful city. I it don't is great. I don't visually understand a lot of it. Like there was a building that I went to that looked like the puzzle cube from Hellraiser turned on its corner, and a couple of blocks away from it, there was what looked to be something that was assembled entirely out of logs. Ah, uh, no, you're the 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 Hellraiser cube. You're talking about the movie theater. Things the Scotiabank movie theater. That's a movie theater. Yeah. Wow. Oh uh, no, wait, no, no. You're talking about the museum. Okay. Yeah, it's on the same street. 1999. The book came out in 1999. Okay, so I was 15 or 16, and that was the the paperback version was my first uh, full-on English book that, that I could read and understand most of it. Before that, I was given a a abridged copy of Brave New World, uh, uh. like like penguins, penguin books or something like that, and I had to read that for school. But of all the English books they made you read, that one. I don't particularly care for that book from a narrative context, but there are so many words that are used in that book that would just have no proper translation or way to get across what they were trying to say in that book. Well, I've never read the full version, and the version they gave us was like maybe 100 pages, so I'm sure there were parts missing. Yeah, it was it was a very strange book. Like, even Even as a native English speaker, I felt that a lot of the concepts were just very strange so i can i can imagine the evil within a bridge diversion it was not the most ideal thing to start with i can't really say the story stuck with me because once again i wasn't really good in english back then but uh, i i remember something about like matrix like pods where baby were grown or something yes and then from a very young age they taught children to have sex i don't think that was in my version you're better off they didn't deem it appropriate for uh, <laughs> for francophone eyes, I guess. Now, you're saying that you started learning in school from around the third grade, which, uh, if it works within how our school system works, would probably place you... Uh, eight years eight, old. Eight yeah. years old, okay. Did you start playing games earlier than that? Oh, yeah, I played the, my first game... I think Super Mario came out here in 86 or 87, so I was like three years old or something. And, uh, well, even before that, I had the, I think it was ColecoVision, the one with the Smurfs game on it. Okay. And it was my favorite game for a while. Uh, so, yeah, I've been playing for a long time. So, now, okay, Super Mario Brothers is not the first thing that one thinks of when they look at an experience that is text heavy mm. outside of toad telling you that the princess is in another castle there's not really a lot there that you need to understand except that um because i can't i couldn't read english i didn't know about the like hold a to start uh you know like the the trick to restart at the start of the world instead of the start of the entire game when you go game over ah because I can't read the instruction booklet. <laughs> Did your parents have any real exposure to English to help you with it? Or was that not a thing that they grew up with so much? My dad understands English when it's spoken to him because he worked with a lot of truckers from the U.S., but he can't read it. So it doesn't really help with that. And my, my mom doesn't speak English at all. Okay, so you were, you were kind of on your own trying to figure that out. Yeah. 
Wow. I I think I've told that story probably in my diehard game fan profile before. But uh, yeah, like when the first Legend of Zelda came out, I, I still couldn't read or understand English. So I know it's not that text heavy compared to other Zelda games, but there's still a bunch of like the next maze or dungeon is like in the eastern part of the map. Or like if you get lost in the wood, go up, up, left or whatever, you know, or don't take this rupee. It's going to actually take 200 rupees out of your total. Or things like that. All things that I didn't understand. So it was very frustrating for that. And it took me... I think it was about two years to finish the game. Because I had to... Uh, translate the parts I didn't understand with a French-English dictionary. Just one word at a time. So probably Google Translate would have done a better job. Because the sentences weren't very complete. Right. It's trying to translate the phrase... It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. Probably didn't help very much. Yeah, no, it makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> but there was a sword, I just walked on it, and like, oh, cool, I got a sword now. That also had to be concerning when you were trying to look into strategy guides, because, as you said, the internet wasn't available at that point, so any guides that you could have gotten, be they from Nintendo Power or whoever, would have inevitably been in English. I had a subscription to Nintendo Power from the first issue, and I just read it for the images, really. Or to know, like, oh, look, this game looks pretty cool. We should buy it. And then we go to the store and they tell my dad, like, that game's not out yet. Because <laughs> I don't know if it's in the, like, coming up section or in the strategy or whatever. Right. How, like, up until you started into the third grade, it was referring to a dictionary or just guessing in a lot of cases. Did starting into English language courses at school help at all, or was it still blind guessing? Uh, honestly, until I got to high school, I didn't learn enough to, uh, to to really understand on my own. Like, the only words I could identify were colors or, or, or things like that, or man. Oh, I know that that guy is a man. But uh, otherwise, I only had access to better tools. Like, they made me buy a better French-English dictionary which had a lot more definitions or a lot more words that weren't in the first one we had in the basement. And that's the only, that, that's really the only thing. So at that point, computers weren't really widespread. Um, digital translators were either trash or insanely expensive. So it was entirely about flipping through a text dictionary, like a printed dictionary, yep. to figure it out. The Harper's French Dictionary. I still got it. <laughs> oh my god, that is French some, English. That is some dedication right there. I really like the Zelda games, you know. <laughs> no, I get you. They they are great games. It's just I'm because again for me it's I didn't get exposed to alternate language games until I got to a point around the middle to the late 1990s where importing became an option oh so japanese games yes and for me i tended to stick to games that were not very text heavy fighting games like dark stalkers or the king of fighters to minimize the amount of exposure i had to the language because i didn't understand it and i wasn't confident that i could pick that up okay for whereas for you you just started with all of the games that you wanted to play 
were in this other language and you just said, fuck it, I'm just going to learn this. Yeah, and I had to hope it wasn't too complicated. For example, Dragon Warrior oh my God. was too much for me. I never made it past the, well, outside. Yeah, You know, like there's the castle at the start mm-hmm. where you, I, I, I'm guessing it was the king because I haven't played that game in a long, long time. And you kind of talk to that character or whatever, and then you make it outside of the castle and you meet your first slime. I never made it by, past that first slime. Because you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't really figure out what it was you were supposed to be doing. Yeah, like I don't even remember what the words are on the menu because they were so frustrating to me. Like it's probably something like fight, magic, run away. I'm gonna guess. And it's it's actually worse now that I think about it because a lot of RPGs in the 8-bit era had condensed menus because they were working off of the assumption. There's a concept in video game discussion circles called perceivable consequence Mm -hmm. the idea of perceivable consequence is you do a thing personally a thing happens on the screen and you've learned if i do x thing x event happens so Mm -hmm. when you're playing super mario as an example you press the button mario jumps you've learned how mario jumps that is perceivable consequence so in a game like Dragon Warrior, if they abbreviate the word in English, attack. Yeah, it's not in the dictionary then. <laughs> right, so they're, they're abbreviating it to, say, ATK, as an example, because they only have however many spaces to work with. The assumption is, from a perceivable consequence perspective, the English reader will see that, they will know, ATK, oh, that means attack. So not only were you in the position where you were trying to play games and translate the text, but you were having to deal with abbreviations of words you didn't know in the first place. I guess I was, but like I said, I I really don't remember what the words were because I got so frustrated with Dragon Warrior. And I think we had like two different copies of it for some reason. Well, there was a point where they were giving it away free with Nintendo Power. Okay, well... Yeah, I guess I couldn't read that either. <laughs> that is some bullshit right there. Wow. I <clears throat> I mean, this is a silly thing to admire somebody for, but I admire the dedication that you had to that, seriously. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> now, you said that up until you got into high school, you weren't really learning a lot. I'm going to guess, again, going by my experience, that your high school is four years. Five years. Five years, okay. In Quebec, we do six years of elementary school with a year of kindergarten before that, and then five years of high school. Okay, so in America, how we do it at this point is five years of elementary school uh, with a year of kindergarten, three years of middle school, and then four years of high school. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. It's similar to the rest of Canada. Okay. So it's, it's, so it's Montreal is different in that case. Uh, from how it's done in surrounding areas. Yeah, Quebec likes to be different, for better or worse. That's interesting. You would have then gotten into high school probably around age 12 to 13. Uh, Yeah, 1996. Wow. So the PlayStation 1 had actually been available for a couple of years at that point. Mm -hmm. Were you a PlayStation person, or did you hold out for the N64? Nintendo 64 all the way. 
So in that respect, I would imagine you didn't accidentally run into any RPGs, which is probably for the best. I, I did because uh, my yeah. friends uh, in high school were all about PlayStation. Uh, so I saw my friends play Final Fantasy VII. Uh, what was the one? I think it was Zeno Zeno Gear. Zeno Gears, okay. Zeno Gear, like big robots or something. Yes, yes, and, that's it. Yeah, so they were just like by then we could understand the basic words, so like attack, magic, things like that, and we still read the video game magazines. So at this point, even though we weren't very good, we understood some of it. So even though we didn't know what the deep, deep story was, like is there a betrayal somewhere or or things like that, we, we knew enough to, to keep moving forward. So you you met other people in school, other Francophones, who were in the same position where they wanted to learn how to play video games, but they ran into that wall. Did you Did you have anybody that you could rely on who was either better with English or a straight-up Anglophone who could be like, oh, this is this, that is that? Uh, no, I was the best English speaker uh, in all of my friends, and that includes the period where I could only say things like, the car is red, or things like that. It was still the best ones. So you were basically the person who, who led the group and said, oh, well, this is what this means, and everybody came to you for help. Yeah, with my dictionary and my Nintendo power, I was the one to spread the word. So, as games got more complex moving to the Super Nintendo, did you did you find that that was more troublesome to deal with, or did you just evolve into it naturally as you started learning more? I, I kind of evolved into it, because I remember playing uh, Mario RPG, uh, and replaying it later, I realized that I didn't get the entire thing, or the jokes, or anything like that. But the menus by then, like, they were easy enough that I, I knew what it meant. Like, jump was a word I knew, or or flower even, or, you know, flame, fire, all, the, all those words they used. But if there was a big plot point or whatever, was, oh, look at that gigantic shark. I think he's my friend now. But, yeah, I knew just enough to keep moving forward. Did you stick predominantly with the Nintendo games? Did you try branching out into, say, fighting games, anything like that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I had a bunch of fighting games. I had Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter. Yeah, no, uh, any game that I could get my hands on, really. All right, so you went to the Nintendo 64 yourself, and then your friends invested in the PlayStation. Uh -huh. Around the time you got into high school and lessons got more robust and involved for you uh well got more robust they just changed the vocabulary they were teaching us uh i would say by the time i was done with high school i only knew english good enough to make very basic sentences and most of it was because by that point i was watching wrestling pretty heavily also so so basically everything you learned in school was bullshit yeah no nah, awesome English classes in, in in Montreal schools, they don't teach you that much. So it, it sounds to me like you got as much from brute force playing your way through video games as you did from spending time learning the language in school. Yeah, it's a lot of stubbornness. And I think because I was spending so much time with video games and television, because of that, my grades in English class were were really good, were above average well above average yeah school itself was not really responsible for any of that i would say 
So here's a different question then. As technology changed and improved, did you get into, how, did you have a computer in your home? Did you start investing time into trying to get computer tools that might help out? We had our first computer, I think it was in 96, and it was not connected to the internet. I got my first internet-connected computer in 2001. Uh, before that, we had to go to the internet cafe uh, starting in 98 if we wanted any contact with the outside world. <laughs> so it was, you had a computer, but it wasn't, it was still basically a lot of brute forcing, like that you didn't have any applications that might have helped you out with that. It was still just you and the dictionary and whatever you learned from your own studies. I had to brute force my way into learning how MS-DOS worked <laughs> because because that computer didn't even have Windows on it. <laughs> so you now had to work off of uh, a computer language that was based around English and used all kinds of weird abbreviations like DIR for directory. Yeah, I didn't know that's what it meant. Now I know. But back then, I just made a bunch of uh, cheat sheets or whatever. Mm. Like exec or... I knew how to... Uh, I knew what, which comments... Because my father had a friend who worked with computers. And he came home like once, I think. And he made us a bunch of comments. Like, if you want to run Worms, like the, the, the PC game, that's how you do it. Those are the commands. Like... C, uh, cd dot dot cd dot dot c uh, double dot slash worms uh, like the whole thing did that for doom for all the other crappy games that weren't there <laughs> yeah i like doom i like doom too i had all the i can't remember where i got them from but i had all the cheats printed somewhere like idkfa and all that it was a good game I have to kind of wonder how much contextually you lost during that, because IDKFA, I believe, was meant to be uh, id, the name of the company, followed by kill fucking everything. Well, I did not know that. <laughs> there you go. It's so, all right, going back to that, you had mentioned that you went back and played Super Mario RPG and picked up on other things. Do you find that you go back to games to see how your experience has changed? often or do you just do it every once in a while for a game you think hey i wonder about that well i never thought about it that way but i think you might be right i do have a big tendency uh, like a retro gaming habit and not even just like oh uh, this is an old super nintendo game that i've never played before but it might be worth something it's really just oh i remember playing uh yeah, Super Mario RPG or Chrono Trigger or things like that. And I would like to play it again, see how it holds up, or maybe understand more now. But I never really see it like that. I mean, but but it, it could be a really big reason why I do it. Never thought of it that way. Do you find, if you go back and play some of the older games, you're like, oh, I missed that, oh, I missed that. Like, you mentioned it for Super Mario RPG. Like, you said you never went back in comparison and played Dragon Warrior. Were there games that you played that it sticks out to you? Oh, I completely missed that. Oh, Star Tropics. Definitely. Yeah, I can immediately <laughs> understand that one with putting the sheet of paper in water and everything. Never that figured probably, that one. Yeah, that was probably really weird. Yeah, no, I just remember in Nintendo Power there was an article. Uh, I think I just went through the pictures and there was a 
like a picture of what you needed to do and I kind of just figured it out from there. But I didn't know I needed to put my sheet of paper in the water or anything like that. All right. So you graduate from high school mm -hmm. and you say at that point, from what you had learned from school, you were able to compose very basic sentences. Yep. And you're explaining to me now things that you had missed at that point that you understand clearly at this point. Where did you start expanding further? Was it because the internet was available, because you had more assets to translate more of the things that you were interested in? Uh, did you go to college and learn more from there? I did have to take two classes in college because I was studying computer science and they made it mandatory to take uh, classes with that because most of the books were in English. But really, yeah, it was from the internet. I learned a shitload just from wrestling, video games, and the internet. And I'm not sure what my actual method was for getting better, but I guess it's just when you're passionate about something, you want to understand what they're talking about. So, like I mentioned, I bought, like, Mick Foley's book because I was like, this guy looks like he's led an interesting life. I'd like to know more about it. And then it was new websites that I was discovering. So if you like wrestling and you want to learn about wrestling rumors, all the websites are in English. Right. So as you keep reading, some words come back and just become more familiar, I guess. I also subscribed to a bunch of forums where I was trying to make your stupid opinion known to the world and then everybody laughs at you because the sentence doesn't make sense. And then you try again. When you get good enough, you make a brand new username so that they don't know it was you who was the dumbass who couldn't speak properly <laughs> in the past. <laughs> Things like that. No, I, I, that makes perfect sense. Here's an, here's an interesting one that just came to mind. Looking at everything we have available now, it strikes me that there are a lot of tools that are available nowadays that you couldn't have even dreamed of. Um, Google Translate, you can feed something into that and it will dump it back in your language poorly, but it'll do it. And you have multiple different resources that are available in different languages for fans of things. And you have the ability to directly communicate with other people. And there are programs like Rosetta Stone that give you advanced teaching in languages. Do you ever get to a point where you look at something like that and think, well, things might have been different if I'd had that available? Or do you feel like what you picked up and how you picked it up is perfectly fine and like something like that probably wasn't, you know, as big of a deal as it seems? I think the way I picked it up makes made it so that I was a lot more eager to learn English. Uh, when I look at some of my younger cousins or younger family member who did have all of the tools on the internet to translate stuff, they kind of become lazy. Like they just need one thing translated, they plug it into Google and they're like, oh, so that's what it means. And then they stop thinking about it. But I, the, the way I had to do it, I kind of had to bang my head against it until it, it, it got into my head because otherwise it's not really useful. If you don't repeat the information often enough, then you just forget about it. So if I wanted it to be useful to me with all the games I was playing or all the TV I was watching, uh, for example, South Park was a big thing. I, I, I was laughing at South Park, but I couldn't understand what they were saying. But if I wanted to know more about the characters because I, I thought they were funny, I had to keep watching the same episodes over and over again until it started making sense. And it's the same for a video game. 
So unlike the people right now who just think, I'm playing uh, whatever Pokemon and I don't know what that gym leader is saying to me to just plug it into Google or oh, so that's what it means. And then they forget about it. They haven't really tried themselves. They just read it in French, translated to them. And they still don't know what the English part means. That actually brings up something that I'm going to come back to in a bit um, that we had talked about earlier. But one thing that you had just said that was interesting to me uh, about the concept of like repetition, exposure, things like that. So the idea of repetition is a constant thing where you're constantly, like in, in general, from an educational perspective, we like repetition because the more you repeat something, the more you start to learn it. Mm -hmm. So... Going back to how you had mentioned that Ubisoft came around and started creating games that were also available in French language, did you see that as a tool that you could use to learn English more effectively by, say, turning on the English dialogue and then putting on, say, French subtitles or vice versa to learn things more clearly? I did that with DVDs. When DVDs came along that's how i learned how to listen to english and understand what it means putting on the french subtitles or even the english subtitle because by that time i got my first dvd player in like 2001 so by that, by that time i could read english more or less properly because i had already read a bunch of books but uh, hearing it is not the same at all people speak too fast and then i was completely lost so by putting subtitles on DVDs in English, I can read and understand how it's actually supposed to be pronounced. Uh, but with video games, uh, by that point, I had been it had been drilled into me to just like, nah, video games are supposed to be in English. That's how you should play them. So even to this day, like, if a video game by default is in French, I turn it off and I put it back in English, because it it feels fake. Otherwise, if my video game's in, in French, it just feels fake. It feels like uh, they probably messed up the translation. Why You don't want to miss anything. Put it back to its original setting. <laughs> so now that's, that's an interesting follow-up, because do you spend any kind of time with Japanese RPGs at all, where they have the Japanese language spoken and English subtitles? Uh, not at all. I can't say I do. Okay. Because I was, I was curious as to how weird that was, hearing this entirely different language and trying to figure out, okay, if, if there's a word that you miss, how do you pick up from context clues? Nah, the, I, I've never really that big on Japanese RPGs. Uh, my brother does play a lot of them. Uh, that would be a question for him, I guess. <laughs> no, that's fair. <clears throat> so... Coming back to what I had mentioned before, um, we were talking earlier and you had mentioned that for whatever reason, the Pokemon names are translated, <laughs> Yeah, but in a way where they kind of already have some translated aspects, so it just gets really confusing. Yeah, I have no idea who did the translation for Pokemons, but it's really all over the place. The thing is that, the thing is that um, when Pokemon came out, at first, we didn't have that rule about, like, games should be in French if the French translation is available somewhere else. So we're closer to Canada, well, the rest of Canada, and to the United States, so our Pokemon were in English. So every kid in Quebec learned their Pokemon in English. So Jigglypuff, Charizard, uh, whatever the other names that 
come Pikachu. to mind are. Yeah, Pikachu. Pikachu is an exception because in the anime, he's also named Pikachu and they don't want to get that confused. So they kept the name Pikachu in French too. But, I remember uh, you had mentioned Greninja as... Uh, that one's terrible. Because <laughs> by the time Greninja came around, by then the law was in effect. So at that point, they're like, okay, everybody gets the French-French translation of Pokemon. So all of a sudden, Greninja, which is uh, a mix of Grenouille, which is the French for frog, and Ninja, in French, becomes Amphinobi, which is a mix of Amphibian and Shinobi, for whatever reasons. But the original English version was already a French word. Almost. So why did you even bother translating it? Why did they change ninja to shinobi? It's the same thing. And and ninja is in the French dictionary, but shinobi is not. So they translated a word that was already partially in French into a word that was a more complex French word and using a Japanese word that you don't recognize instead of a Japanese word that you do recognize. Yeah, I don't know if the translator were working overtime or if the pro project lead was like, you need to translate each and every one of those names. Oh, but sir, this one's already in French. I don't care. I need new, different names or else you're all fired. So, and, yeah. yeah, just I... <laughs> no, it works for Mario Kart too. You know, like Shy Guy. What do uh, they call Shy Guy? Mascarash, which I do believe is just a mix of a mask, and arash means to pull out something. So I don't know how that works, but it's it's a terrible name, and it, it's a constant battle because some of my friends still put their console in French because they're separatists so the French language is very important to them. So when we play Mario Kart and I play Shy Guy, I'm like, ooh, Shy Guy's in the lead. And they're like, you mean Mascarash? I'm like, no, that's not his name. His name is Shy Guy. Because it would be like going through a, a, a movie and saying that all of a sudden, uh, I don't know, in Ghostbusters, Peter Venkman and all of it is all of a sudden Pierre Labelle. Like, it wouldn't make sense. <laughs> Are different company like the different companies handle that in different ways, or is it a case where the way that the the way that the recommendation is set up, everybody just goes overboard with that? Because it sounds like Nintendo does not do the best job of it. But are there other cases where you've seen where it's it's maybe not so bad? Um, well, Ubisoft because I guess they're a French company originally. Their translations are are really good. For all I know, maybe they develop in French at first. I'm not sure how they work. But yeah, their translations are fairly good. And uh, Nintendo, it's not that they are bad. It's just that uh, it's quite the opposite. They were once one of the first companies to make games available in French. They had been doing so before the law came in effect. It's just that they used the France French translation and in my experience with because uh, by the way a lot of Quebecois people watch their movies dubbed over in French so uh, from my experience with that when something is dubbed over in France they change everything uh, just so that it fits their vision of what a perfect French language should be so the accent is different the words are different the uh, 
turns of sentences. Um, so I don't know, maybe in France, French, shinobi is something that's really good to them, something that they're familiar with, and that's why they used it. But it doesn't really take into account Quebec's reality, because France and Quebec are really far apart and really different, even though they speak the same language. Exactly. It's, it's, we have similar situations between ourselves and Great Britain and ourselves and how other parts of ourselves speak. So that's not a surprise, but it's interesting because when I took Spanish classes, as an example, we all learned proper Spanish. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like when you are exposed to these games, you're being exposed, I guess, to proper French as opposed to a, like a different sort of French that has maybe different types of slang associated yeah, and it's not even the, 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 well, the slang is a big part of it, but even the, what we would call, um, I guess, like business French or whatever, is, is different in Quebec than it is in, uh, in France. And uh, France like to think that the Parisian accent is what should be the normal French accent for everyone. But uh, the truth is that even though we are exposed to it at a very young age because of French movies, we it, it, it still sounds a bit unfamiliar, weird. It, it sounds very pointy to us. With all of the things that you exposed yourself to, professional wrestling, video games, things like that growing up, did you, did you feel like you ended up in a position, English-speaking-wise, where you have a better understanding of odd variations or slang than say like other people that you know who may have gone through the schooling system or tried to learn it the proper way? I do believe so. Uh, my first job after being done with computer science was uh, doing computer, well, phone support for uh, D-Link, the router company. And I was doing so for the United States because in Montreal it's cheaper labor. So getting calls from Texas or, or Arizona or really anywhere in the Midwest uh, was a big wake-up call. And just in those eight months that I held the job, I learned so much about all the different, I want to say dialect, but maybe they're just regional variations. But I, I learned a lot about that. And I thought that by that point, I, uh, I I was good enough that there was nothing that could stand in my way English-wise. And then I met my fiance, and she's an Anglophone from Toronto. And she made me understand really quickly that my spoken English wasn't all what I thought it was, really. <laughs> so you met her and you found out that you were still kind of speaking like shit. Yeah. I, I thought it was good, but I guess it's just the... Uh, customers at dealing that were being polite or just didn't give a shit what my accent sounded like i feel like from my experience because i work i work in an environment where i do actually deal with a lot of uh francophones in canada myself mm -hmm. and i feel like you are much better spoken than they are because I think there's only a certain degree of expectation for what is required. So long as you can get the core point of what you are saying across in writing, in speech, they're not concerned so much with the details. 
Okay. Well, no, because me and my fiance communicate primarily in English. She does speak French with my parents, but together, in order to be more efficient, we do speak English. And if I want to get my point across, I have to be, uh, I have to know exactly what it is I'm saying. And I would say that more than half of the arguments that we get into have something to do with me not using the proper word or even not using the proper tone or sometimes a bad combination of both like a tone that I would think would be okay in French combined with some words that sound okay in French but sound really snobbish in English it makes for really it makes you sound like a dick yeah a lot of people think I sound really condescending in English to be fair that also is the impression that I get of a lot of the francophones that I deal with in my job they might not be doing that by choice. It might just be an accident. <laughs> right. It's, it's, I feel like if you work in the IT sector, this is the thing that you run into because of how many people are contract workers. Mm-hmm. They don't care necessarily about how well you are versed in the language that they are speaking, so long as you can get across the complex technical concepts that they are trying to understand. Oh, well, that's possible. Uh, as long as... Um... As they get you to understand what they're trying to explain, I'm sure they don't care how much of a of an asshole they sound to you. <laughs> I, I mean, once they punch out, they don't get to they don't have to hang out with you. So, right, and it's it's it comes to a case where we are also a multinational corporation, the one that I work for. So, nine times out of ten, you are never going to see these people. Mm-hmm. So it's a case where all you have to do is work together, as you said. But it's it's almost impossible that you're ever going to see one another. And if you're if this person is a contractor, they may not even be with the company in five years. So I think the expectation is different. And to your point, that explains why when you were working in a customer service sort of environment, nobody gave a shit because they could understand you. And that was all that mattered. They weren't there to teach you well. I don't understand or whatever. They were just there to get whatever information. But then you meet somebody who communication is vital and they're like, no, you sound like a jerk ass. Yeah, a lot of the people at the phone support company thought I was uh, Indian over the phone, actually, uh, the way my accent sounded. So I hope I have improved uh, over that. But... uh, yeah, it's just a big reality check when you think you're really good at a language and then you go, it was almost five, six years between that job and meeting my fiance. And then during that time, sometimes I kept having like Skype conversations with friends I had met online or even some of them would come over from the UK and come and hang out here. And... I was thinking, yeah, my English is all right. And then all of a sudden, somebody who's actually really honest with you, because it have to be, is like, yeah, your English is not really all that great. You need to still work on that. And, <laughs> and pointing out every little mistake I make and that I still make to this day. For example, I still mix up, like, one of them is plural, one of them is singular. If I say no problems or no troubles or this wasn't any troubles at all or trouble anyway one of either problems or trouble needs to actually be... with an s at the end in both cases that's plural yeah but like which one is a proper way to say it like oh this was no problem at all or no problems at all the former 
Okay, so see, that's the one I probably say problems all the time. Yeah, it's it's in that case you don't want to use plurality. Um, when you want when you say that thing that you asked me to do was no trouble, mm. it's it's always a case of one separate event singular. So or like you know, oh thank you for doing this. Oh, it was no problem because you only asked for the one thing. Well, see, I keep thinking maybe I saved you from more than one problem. Maybe it would have been many problems if you had done it the other way, you know? It's possible, but <laughs> the way that the way that our language is set up, and to be fair, English is just a... <clears throat> for, for lack of a better way of describing it, it is, it is a fucked language. I was going to say clusterfuck. See, that's a good word. I know. That's, that's a good word. I, I picked... I picked up a lot of words. That, that's another weird thing, though, about the way I speak. Is that from reading and from watching a bunch of TV shows and movies, I pick up some vocabulary that I'm like, oh, that's probably a very normal word to be using. And then you try using it in everyday speech with actual English speakers. And they're like, why do you sound like, like a university professor or anything like that or a redneck why do you sound like a redneck oh this was one hell of a kerfuffle up in here like <laughs> why would i even use that word you know now is your fiance a gamer to any extent or does she just put up with the fact that you're interested in it she mostly puts up with it but she'll play the uh, occasional cooperative game mostly borderlands or uh we've been playing Zack and wiki Uh, for the Wii recently because of the puzzle parts like it's really fun to think about uh, when you're together you know but she mostly puts up with it except for that weird face she had with Pokemon X and Y where she I could literally never touch my 3DS because she was always hogging it <laughs> but then she she outgrew that phase also so she didn't get into Pokemon Go when that came out Uh, it's not available yet in Canada. Really? Yeah, but a lot of people are still playing because of the APK version that uh, you can um... download and put on your phone. But uh, she wants me to put it on her phone, but I'm like, no, we're going to wait for the legitimate version because Nintendo have a lot of problems with their servers, so we might not even be able to enjoy it. Plus, when it comes out legitimately, like, do you really want to go through the trouble of reinstalling it if they make updates or anything like that you know like you don't want to bother with that i feel like you would you would probably cause more problems because if you have a problem with that program you'll then have to re-download the apk for it to reinstall it plus you kind of have to depending on the kind of phone you have you have to root it and i hate that Yeah, exactly. So I'm just going to wait for the legitimate version. Plus, I just uninstalled Mitomo because nobody was playing that anymore. So I got a lot of free space on my phone anyway. Yeah, I, I would imagine hopefully you won't get it until they get to a point where they have friends lists and the ability to trade. Because that version with those installed will probably be a lot of fun for you and your fiance and friends in the area. Right now, I kind of feel like the game is half of a game. Although Alex has been going on about how wonderful it is for the past couple of days. Yeah, I read that on Facebook. He's very intense about his love of Pokemon. I don't even necessarily think he loves Pokemon. He just loves what Pokemon represents, kind of. And he likes the idea that the game is getting people out into the world and getting them together because he lives in a city. So he'll go to an area where there will be three or four Pokestops together. I don't. So 
Oh, you live in the strip mall suburb kind of stuff? Suburb. There you go. Perfect. That is that is exactly the word I would use for it. So the closest gym to me is visible on the map. But to get there, it's in a tiny little island in the middle of a three-way intersection. <laughs> I'm not kidding. They have, they have poke stops that are directly in the center of busy roads. Oh, Some kid is going to get ruined by this game physically sooner rather than later. Wasn't there a kid already that got hit by a car or something or got killed playing? I, I seem to remember reading about this. I've been hearing that from a lot of people, but I can't find any articles. I think it's kind of a collective consciousness thing uh, where yeah. we all assume it's going to happen. So eventually somebody says, hey, this happened and we just go with it. Or there has been muggers. That one I read for, for real. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I would not go into a slum or a ghetto uh, looking for Pokemon and not expect to not get my phone stolen. <laughs> yeah, there's some places that uh, you, you, you walk at night and you try to pretend that you don't have a phone even though everybody's got one these days. <laughs> like... Uh, It's mainly when I've been visiting my fiance's family in the U.S. because she's also half American, right? And uh, I think I was in Mississippi. Yeah, uh, there was a part near Oxford. I think it was in Oxford, Mississippi. And right outside of that, we visited the Museum of Blues, I believe. House of Blues. Yeah, and right outside of that, the whole neighborhood is just a bunch of burned down houses and, and and people still seem to live in those burned down houses because there's people on the porches and there's a lot of cars around there but nobody walking because i guess you just kind of drive through that part and you try to never ever stop and thankfully that doesn't seem to be much of a thing up here i mean i don't want to sing the praises of Montreal and Toronto, but there's not really any place that I'm scared to walk here. Now, when you say that, like, the areas that you live in is a ghetto, you mean it more in the technical sense, not in the slang sense. No, no, I mean it in the technical sense, in the sense that it's an isolated part where everybody that lives in it have a common ethnicity or... or... Right, okay. Because that was, that was actually a thing that was the case uh, in New Jersey, where I live. Uh, for many years in the 70s and the early 80s, where you had neighborhoods that were entirely Polish, neighborhoods that were entirely Hungarian, neighborhoods that were entirely Italian. And these days, all of those have kind of fallen away. And a lot of cases, if you use the term ghetto, you mean it in the slang sense of shitty neighborhood you don't want to go in. Oh, okay. Uh, well, no, in Montreal, yeah, those ghettos in the sense of isolated places they're also slowly falling down we have a lot of anglophones that are moving in close to where i live even though it's mostly francophone uh, and even the italian part now is really mixed up but uh, yeah there are poor and i'm doing like air quotation marks there's like poor places in montreal but even the the poorest of them like They're not really scary parks. Like, they're poor because more people probably live close to the poverty line. But 
there's some gang violence, not that much. We're supposed to have a division between Crips and Bloods at some point in north of Montreal, but I've never witnessed it personally. Oh. So, yeah, we're aware that gangs exist, and it's mostly about drug distribution, really. So if you're not involved in any of that in Montreal, there's not really a whole lot of chances of you getting mugged or anything. One more thing I wanted to touch on before we wrap it up here, since we've been going at this for a bit. Mm -hmm. The one thing that you had mentioned that kind of stuck with me uh, when we were talking earlier was about how your cousins would just go look up a thing and they would find it and say, oh, okay, and they would just gone. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me when you, you talk about the experiences that you had with picking up the language, with meeting other people, with learning it uh, from your fiance, from gaming, from everything else, it sounds like you honestly ended up in a position that's really strong professionally for having what sounds to me at least like a strong command of both French and English. Do you feel like having all of those tools as an alternative maybe isn't really equipping people to be prepared going in? Uh, the tools themselves are not going to make people proficient in the language, I believe. They're a good way of making the world more connected because it means that even if they don't have the entire grasp of the language, they can still get around that. But from what I'm seeing with a lot of French and English being mixed up around here, I think it's just really the, the best way of being good in both languages is to just go out there and make friends or get interested in something that has to do with the other language. And that's how everybody that I know who's entirely bilingual, it's because they have friends in both, in both languages. And the friends come before the command of the language. It's just if you're interested enough in, in some people, you're, you're, you're going to be forced to find a way to communicate, you know? And even if you don't have friends, like if, let's say, for example, you, you take part in a hockey team and in Montreal, if you're part of a hockey team that everybody necessarily speaks the same language, then you also need to develop a, a way to speak with those people or work. Now Montreal is a very international city in terms of work. So when they enter the, uh, the workforce, they have no choice but to try to develop at least uh, knowing uh, a working knowledge of, of English. And that's really the, the only way they can get entirely bilingual. The tools themselves are merely a crutch. And when they're still in school age, from what I've seen, the grades in English, and to be honest, also in French, even if it's their native language, they're really going down. Like, it's terrible. But, uh, yeah, there's hope yet. I just think that the the people are going to get better as they get older, as they discover that there's actually a reason why you need to keep trying to learn and and not just being like oh it's 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 just useful for my hobbies i don't really need to understand it properly because really right now it's just oh maybe i want to know what that what taylor swift is singing about you know that's what they're they, 
they all seem to care about. But once they understand that part, they don't really learn the actual words. They just know the meaning because they had it translated. But they didn't learn the actual sentences, the actual words. Can I just say it's really depressing that Taylor Swift is what the thing that they're looking up? Uh, Katy Perry, too, if you're into that. I mean, I like Katy Perry fine. It's just I, I, I almost feel like that's an appropriate reparation for you guys giving us Nickelback. Uh, no, no. Nickelback is all about Alberta. We have nothing to do with that. And... I mean, Canada in general. I'm not blaming you for it specifically, but you're kind of complicit. <laughs> well... That's the thing. If you say that to uh, a, a Quebecer who's not me, or, or like Quebecers are mainly separatist, they don't would really, get punched in the mouth. Well, they don't really identify as Canadian. I identify as Canadian, so I, I like to say that like I'm not responsible for Nickelback because that's very convenient to me. But the truth <laughs> is that I feel Canadian, so I do feel responsible for them, and it makes me feel really, really bad. Although, you know, like, it's not good music, but, I mean, when I hear it on the radio, it's not... There's worse, you know? Justin Bieber is a lot worse than Nickelback. You do realize that it's your fault Justin Bieber exists, too, right? Oh, I'm not the one who put it up, put him up on YouTube. I'm no, not the one you're, who you're clicked complicit. on this video. Canada is complicit. I, I, we thank you for Dan Aykroyd, but fuck you for Justin Bieber. How about Avril Lavigne? Hey, you know what? Avril Lavigne sucks. I, I, I apologize for Avril Lavigne, a hundred percent. I've never Dion. met her, but I still, I still apologize. Celine Dion, how about that? That's your fucking fault, man. She's, she's a, she's one she's of a the damn great... good singer. She's a yeah. damn good singer, but she's one of the I greatest never... voice of the twentieth century, twenty-first too. I never need to hear my heart will go on ever again. No, that's not even the good one. The The good one is uh, It's All Coming Back to Me. That's a good song. I'll definitely go with that. Yeah. I feel like we're going to start getting into that conversation about Daft Punk in a minute. Jesus. <laughs> no, one, one thing I did actually want to ask you as a wrap-up from what you were just talking about. So you went out of your way to learn English. Yeah. And you, you learned French because that was your native language, essentially. Yeah, because I was born speaking well my parents speak were born speaking i was born speaking french not born but that's the language they taught me anyway you know what i mean yeah i get what you're saying exactly what i think is interesting is you talk a lot about okay you spent a lot of time learning english from video games from wrestling uh way beyond what school expected of you mm -hmm. you went into working in a field where knowing English was important. You met an Anglophone fiance. Um, I kind of wonder, is the extensive knowledge that you have of both French and English, that exposure to all these different cultures and things of that nature, do you think maybe that has something to do with you being a little bit more open to concepts like identifying as Canadian, not necessarily identifying to the more separatist mindsets? It definitely does. When you look at the demographics breakup, like people who are separatist and people who are not in the Francophone-only crowd, separatist is a lot higher. Uh, when you start learning more English, like in the bilingual crowd, there's still a bunch of separatists, but not that much. And in the Anglophone crowd, there's almost zero separatists. So... I feel like the more you know about both sides of the equation, if you 
if you want, the more you get the to more under, you learn about other people. Yeah, the more you get to learn about everyone's point of view and you can see why there might be a good reason to keep everyone together. Definitely something to think about. I hope so. <laughs> I feel like that's a good place for us to wrap up. So I do want to say thank you very much, Guy. It was this is a great conversation. Well, it was honestly. my pleasure. And I'd love to have you back. We can just talk about dumb shit like another time. We can there's whatever topic you want is it's your the floor is yours. I'd be down for that at dumb shit bump podcast at some point in the future. Yeah, whenever whenever you have time, just let me know. But um, well, that's it for this week. Join us again next week when our topic will be game developers who were eaten by dingoes. Thank you very much for listening to Neo Kobe Pizza, and have yourself a wonderful week. <laughs>